I am Solas Veritas, and this is the Defending American Exceptionalism podcast. It appears many Americans have forgotten what makes America exceptional. This podcast is here to remind them. The greatest country on earth has been so successful that it may now be suffering from that very success. The lack of any real suffering in recent decades has made it all too easy for people to criticize and malign the greatest country ever to have been established by man, while sitting comfortably in their centrally heated homes, watching big screen TVs, interacting with their fellow men primarily through social media, and experiencing life events via virtual reality video games. This podcast is meant to serve as a reminder and tutorial on the unique and special form of government our founders created, and to explain the real history, purpose, and structure of America. It hopes to offer a counter to the falsities gaining popularity in the past 20 years, probably even longer, that America is no better than any other country, no different and no more honorable. Indeed, the very qualities of our country and her people that make it great are under attack in a way that threatens the very foundation on which it balances. Keyboard warriors, echo chambers, and virtue signaling with no substance are all the means by which individuals hide from any thoughtful discourse with their neighbors and make nearly impossible any honest, intellectual discussion of the issues of the day. If you'd like to engage in those types of discussions, stay tuned. This episode is being recorded on November 8th, 2023, episode 115. Secure our borders, because the outside world is full of those who seek to harm us. As expected, as soon as I completed the recording for the last episode, more and more news about international turmoil arrived in my inbox. President Biden visited Israel, a trip more concocted to try to win favor for the failing president as an election approaches than to do any real good, as the needed security for such a visit typically only serves to distract resources needed to secure the safety of civilians and military troops in the ongoing conflict. Anytime an elected official enters a war zone with nothing to offer, no military experience or role, and no planned strategy for any diplomacy, that visit merely increases the risk of harm to those involved in the conflict. Of course, the announcement of the president's visit came after he warned Israel not to occupy the Gaza Strip, a warning that is hard to understand in the context of the current hostilities. That is not to say that there are not a number of innocents in Gaza being affected by both sides of this conflict, but the chastisement of Israel is a little bit shocking. And then there are reports that Hamas is actively attempting to interfere with attempts to evacuate American citizens from Gaza. The United Nations and others issued warnings that the situation in Israel is very likely to spill over to other parts of the Middle East. Secretary of State Blinken met with the Palestinian Authority president in the West Bank, and the war between Hamas and Israel rages on. And anti-Semitism appears to be on the rise in our own nation. News reports now suggest that North Korea is or may be planning to send weapons and other support to Russia in its conflict with Ukraine. Polish elections appear to demonstrate a real instability, at least in that nation if not the region, of a constant battle between conservative and progressive policies. Our enemies are becoming more brazen, more open in their disregard for anything resembling human rights, freedom, or self-governance. That situation is disturbing, disappointing, and a sad state of affairs indeed but it is shining a spotlight on how important it is that our federal government begin shifting its own policy priorities to focus on those that serve to protect our borders from entrance by those seeking to further cause harm to us and our interests. The longer the news is that the United States borders are porous, that this administration is not tough on illegal immigration, and that we are distracted by less immediate issues unrelated to our own security, 
the more likely it is we will continue to see a shift in the demographics of those using the gaps in our border protection to enter the country illegally. By the time we understand the scope of this problem, it may be too late. To be sure, illegal immigration has always brought with it a messy mix of those seeking a better life, sometimes in situations so dangerous they simply do not believe they can work their way through the legal entry process, though there are provisions in our laws to address just that circumstance. And those who at their base are simply criminals, criminals who disregard immigration laws, just as they disregard laws related to drugs and human trafficking. The FBI has officially warned of domestic threats related to the conflict in Israel, but the threats to Americans, inside and outside our borders, are vast and growing. If we cannot focus on protecting our own borders and our citizens at home, there is little chance we can do so anywhere else in the world. FBI Director Christopher Wray recently told a Senate committee that the current conflict in the Middle East, quote, has raised the threat of attack against Americans in the United States to a whole other level, end quote. In addition, data suggests that the surge at the southern border and gaps in immigration policy and regulation at the northern border could prove to be an entry point for those who may seek to do us harm, as encounters between border control agents and individuals on the country's terrorist watch list, known as the terrorist screening data set, have increased. When it comes to keeping terrorists out, this is not a single border problem, but an overall immigration and entry point problem, as those individuals are encountered at the southern border, the northern border, sea points of entry, airports, and more. Whenever the threat of more terrorist activity grows, the threat that those terrorists will seek to enter our own nation to perpetrate those atrocities that they seek to perpetrate here also grows. Terrorism, historically, has always seemed to spread almost like a virus. When one group begins to attract attention and some perceived success in its attacks, other groups may be emboldened to act as well. The FBI director acknowledged this truth when he said in testimony before the Senate Homeland Security Committee, We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate years ago. Director Ray continued, Here in the United States, our most immediate concern is that violent extremists, individuals or small groups, will draw inspiration from the events in the Middle East to carry out attacks against Americans going about their daily lives. That includes not just homegrown violent extremists inspired by a foreign terrorist organization, but also domestic violent extremists targeting Jewish or Muslim communities. In fact, the FBI recently arrested one man in Texas who was openly posting online support for killing Jews while simultaneously researching how to build bombs. So though this revelation makes clear the threat is not one related solely to good immigration policy and border control, it does make it clear that if we have any chance of rooting out those domestic and foreign terrorists already within our nation, we must do all we can not to allow others to enter and swell their numbers. The difficulty with evaluating the effectiveness of border control comes from the fact that the information we have only represents those individuals coming into contact with border control and other officials and being detained or turned away. As that number increases, it can be assumed, but not shown with any certainty, that the number who go undetected may also be growing, or is, at a minimum, an unknown number of people. Disputes exist among politicians and government officials whether the existing migrant crisis is now also a greater concern given the instability in other parts of the world. Whether one falls more on the side of believing there is now a major threat posed by our inability to apprehend all those seeking or entering illegally because of the situation in the Middle East, or whether one sees that conflict in the Middle East is not directly affecting the current crisis, one thing is true. 
The failure to secure our borders is a national security concern, and if not addressed, it is not a question of if, but when terrorists will figure out a way to use that failure to their benefit. As a former Department of Homeland Security official under both Presidents Bush and Obama, Teresa Cardinal Brown recently said, Are terrorists flooding across the border? Probably not. But at the same time, it is true that the large number of people arriving does have national security implications. And here is just some of the most recent data about exactly what is happening on our borders. In fiscal year 2023, more than 150 individuals apprehended apprehended at or near the southern border by Border Patrol matched terrorist watch lists. That certainly doesn't mean each of them was a terrorist, but it is a, a, a scary number given the fact of the intent of most of those who actually are terrorists. That's far exceeding the less than 100 such persons apprehended the year before, and far in excess of the only 15 such individuals coming into contact with Southern Border Patrol agents in 2021. So in just two years, we have gone from 15 to 150 contacts with people who appear to be, at least potentially, on terrorist watch lists. This number is only one consideration, as the number of individuals triggering a hit on the terrorist watch list is much higher at the northern border, typically three to four times higher than that at the southern border, with more than 400 such hits in fiscal year 2023. The increase is not only in number, but in country of origin, with more such individuals coming now from the Eastern Hemisphere than before. And while the larger numbers are still persons originating from the Western Hemisphere, when border agents apprehend those from the Eastern Hemisphere, the issue is more challenging because there are more hurdles to any actual deportation of such individuals because we lack agreements with the involved nations to return their citizens home. And though border security can never be perfect, Today's illegal immigration situation is one that increases the risk of errors given the sheer mass of individuals. We already know mistakes are often made, including, for example, a migrant from Colombia who was released by the agency into the United States in 2022, only later to be identified as being on the FBI's terrorist watch list. Luckily, in this instance, he was taken into custody once that fact was discovered. But our officials won't always be that lucky at locating someone who they've released inside our borders. Though the primary focus of this podcast and this episode is on U.S. immigration policy and threats as the world heats up, other nations that are more easily accessible to those fleeing the hostilities in the Middle East and those seeking to expand those hostilities elsewhere may be a more immediate threat, and that is why you see a number of countries in Europe warning of the influx of migrants fleeing the crisis in the Middle East. Immigration demographics are changing, both for those crossing legally and those seeking to enter without going through the proper process. Where once the majority of those seeking to cross the southern border were born in Mexico, that is simply no longer the case. As mentioned in a prior episode, there are growing numbers of immigrants, legal and illegal, from other parts of the world, and most relevantly for this discussion, from parts of the world where there are clear populations of those not friendly to the United States. Whether the larger numbers of immigrants from these areas is a sign of those seeking to enter to cause damage to our nation, or those seeking to escape their own oppressive systems to enjoy the freedoms we offer, is a hard thing to determine. But without adequate controls to know exactly who is entering, it's also impossible to determine. The other change in the immigration problem is that it is no longer primarily the issue of those entering illegally, but those who enter legally and then overstay their legal time in the country, overstaying visas, for instance, something that should be easily tracked. 
And that trend has been one that developed some time ago, meaning many of these individuals have been residing in the United States for years or even decades. This kind of situation is also a border control and national security issue, as the citizens of the United States seem all too willing from time to time to accept that if someone has been here for a long period, albeit illegally, maybe that person should be allowed to stay. This approach, however, only serves to encourage illegal migration to the United States and to reveal the poorest nature of our borders when it comes to controlling who we allow in and who we allow to stay. Though a large percentage of those entering the country, legally and illegally, still come from nations south of us, Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, along with a relatively large migrant population from India, increasingly those entering are from other areas, with such numbers growing for those from places like Asia and the Middle East. And the problem is not just that individuals enter the country illegally. It is, as I mentioned, at least today, that they are rarely removed and become hard even to locate. Even if they weren't originally legally granted a visa, for example, and overstayed that visa, but instead were simply released to determine if they should be allowed in the first place. In September of this year, the Office of the Inspector General within the Department of Homeland Security concluded that there is no assurance that officials can locate individuals once they are released within our borders. Despite these challenges, various officers are being reassigned within the administration to lessen those available to seek to monitor or locate migrants who've been released. A recent interim staff report prepared just last month for the House Committee on the Judiciary and Subcommittee on Immigration, Integrity, Security, and Enforcement provides interesting information when it comes to the true severity of the issue of the administration's choice of implementing immigration policy by releasing individuals into the nation before their immigration status can be determined. In that report, the following information and conclusions are reached. Over 99% of illegal immigrants detained but then released within our borders to await further immigration action are still here. In the period from January 20th to 20, January 20th, 2021 through March of this year, 2023, at least 2,148,738 illegal aliens were released inside the United States. Of those, only 5,993 have been removed and addressed through proper removal proceedings leaving us to wonder where the rest of these individuals are and whether their immigration status will ever be addressed. Despite claims by many that they are seeking asylum, the current administration only properly screened such claims of asylum in 6% of cases, which involves, if done properly, screening to determine if there actually is a fear of persecution if the individual is returned to their country of origin to await any determination in our nation of their immigration status. Another issue with current implementation of immigration laws is that the current administration is admittedly handling illegal entries in a way that increases these individuals' options to seek to re-enter even after violating our laws to enter in the first place. For example, in testimony before the committees, Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas unabashedly described the handling of those detained for illegal entry this way. We are giving the option to individuals who are in our custody the option of voluntarily returning to the country from which they came. Because of the consequences of removal, people have to understand that under Title VIII of the United States Code, when one is removed, one faces at least a five-year bar to re-entry. And so, we will give people an opportunity to avoid that tougher consequence by voluntarily returning. On the surface or upon first thought, you might think that's a great and compassionate approach. The problem is that it is a skirting of the law, and it simply encourages more attempts to re-enter illegally. 
Clearly, the ban on reentry for removal for illegal entry in the first place is intended to serve as a deterrent, but it can have little deterrent effect if it is not applied, and those entering can simply choose to return to their countries and simply try again the next day rather than face the consequences that are actually within the United States Code and related federal regulations. And these are just those who actually come into contact with border officials. Even Secretary Mayorkas had to admit in recent Senate testimony that more than 600,000 what he called gotaways likely evaded border, border patrol at the southern border in fiscal year 2023. In other words, so far we're only talking about those who've come in contact with our border, control official, border patrol officials. But there are over half a million who may not have even been detected at all. Where those people are now is anyone's guess. Costs of illegal immigration include negatively affecting everything from economics to crime to national security. When discussing discussing whether there's a crisis afoot, it is hard to deny. In an article from American Insider, posted on MSN.com, it was posited that the total number of illegal immigrants currently in the United States, estimated to be around 11 million or more, would make that group large enough to represent the population of the 13th largest state in the nation if they were to all live in one place. As Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin recently described the crisis, this chaos that has not only created a humanitarian crisis, is creating a national security crisis and a drug crisis, and we've seen the cartels press into all of the states. So now, every state is a border state. In a February 2023 commentary article by Aaron Dwino, released by the Heritage Foundation and first published in the Daily Signal, She determined that the cost of illegal immigration runs in the billions of dollars each year, and some other statistics suggest that number is over $150 billion and possibly now closer to $200 billion. From health care to welfare programs and education, illegal immigration is costing taxpayers. You also don't even have to try to factor in the fact that there is an added cost to criminal patrol, criminal prosecution, and the like when those who enter seek to engage in criminal activity. New York City Mayor Eric Adams estimates the cost to his city alone to be $2.8 billion in the next fiscal year. And some states are actually implementing programs that will only add to the bill for taxpayers, such as Oregon's law, establishing the Universal Representation Fund to provide legal services at taxpayer expense to illegal immigrants, including for representation in deportation hearings. It is true that not all illegal immigrants engage in other crimes once here, but it is also true both that entering illegally is itself a crime and that there is a clear segment of migrants that enter the nation with the intent to engage in criminal activities such as drugs, guns, and human trafficking. The cost is not purely economic. It is a human cost as well. It's a cost to those communities with an influx of these individuals with no place for them to go or work. And it's a cost to those communities when they engage in criminal activity. But it's also a human cost to many of those crossing or attempting to cross into our nation. Both those seeking to cross illegally, often paying dangerous criminals and entrusting them with a safe journey, and those who reside in communities most affected by the mass influx of such individuals experience increased safety risks. The journey to the United States is a hard one for many, and once here, if successfully entering without encountering Border Patrol officials, these individuals have no resources left to rely on government benefits or the promises of criminals. And let us not forget that this idea that the only people flooding into our nation are these people in need of compassion, who need help, who want a better life for themselves and their families— 
Let us not forget those who have in fact flaunted our immigration laws to do serious harm. Let us not forget who many of the 9-11 hijackers were when it comes to immigration status. Saudi Arabian pilot Hani Hassan Hajor. He came to the United States first in 1991, left in 1999, returned again on a second student visa, the application for which he failed to reveal he had previously been in the United States. He failed to enroll in the intended educational program and was thus illegally remaining in the country on a student visa, the terms of which he had already violated at the time of the attacks. Khalid al-Midhar first issued a U.S. tourist visa in 1999, but because he was being watched by the CIA already, when he traveled to Malaysia, Malaysia was warned to watch him. But he was then somehow still issued a tourist visa, re-entering the United States in 2000 then traveled to Saudi Arabia, his home nation, where he was able to obtain yet another visa after filing an application that also failed to reveal prior travels to the United States. He was legally in the United States, though should not have been issued the latest visa if he had been truthful in his application at the time of the attacks. Nawaf al-Hamzi, and going back to that issue, it is a little surprising in this day and age we do not have a database that would have flagged his application to show that he had, in fact, been issued prior visas. Nawaf al-Hamzi, similar back-and-forth trips to the United States, and at the time of, his, of the attacks had overstayed his visa by nine months. Salem al-Hamzi was on a legal tourist visa on 9-11, as was Mashad Moked. Mohammed Atta entered the United States on a tourist visa in 2000, and as of December 2000, had overstayed his permitted entry. But, because he wanted to remain in the United States to get flight training, he applied to change his status to trainee status with the INS at the time of the attacks. That application was shockingly approved a year after the attacks. If that's not sufficient evidence, our immigration system has been broken for quite some time. I don't know what is. Saddam al-Sukami entered the United States on a 20-day business visa that he overstayed by months at the time of the attacks. While Lead al-Sheri obtained a tourist visa, entered the U.S. in 2000, and had overstayed that visa at the time of the 9-11 attacks. Wail al-Sheri, present on a tourist visa, Abdul. Abdulaziz Alamari, tourist visa. Marwan S. Shehi, despite numerous trips in and out of the United States, was legally in the country on 9-11. Fayez Ahmed, tourist visa. Ahmed Al-Ghamdi, overstayed a tourist visa. Hamza Saleh Al-Ghamdi, visa for tourist purposes. Um, others also on tourist visas. Zayed Samir Jara issued a five-year multiple entry visa and was legally in the United States. Sayed Al-Ghamdi, present on a tourist visa, obtained by falsely claiming he'd never previously applied for such a card. Ahmed Ibrahim Al-Hazani, tourist visa. Ahmed Abdullah Al-Nami, tourist visa. If we look at these attackers, these individuals in the country involved actively in the 9-11 attacks, at least a third or more of them had overstayed their visas or had lied on applications to enter the United States. The reason I wanted to go through these individuals is to make several points. First, and hopefully most obviously, it is not only those illegally in the country who may be present to do us harm. Border patrol and border security is only one part of overall national security. But second, our immigration system is broken in far more ways than just the physically porous borders through which undocumented individuals travel. Overstayed visas, a huge problem, and one that doesn't need to exist. The failure to follow through and monitor those who enter for only limited purposes and limited um, per, uh, periods of time allows many more to disappear. 
untracked and unmonitored in ways that make it easier to engage in criminal activity. The immigration system needs to be reformed, but not just because it is a juicy topic or because of any systemic discrimination against those seeking to enter, but because the failure to implement an effective system of tracking who we allow in and under what circumstances is crucial to ensuring national security. As always, thank you for listening. Our immigration system is and has for a while been in disrepair. Instability around the world only spotlights that the issue is not a domestic one, but one of international relations, foreign threats, and internal safety. Knowingly and intentionally allowing persons to enter illegally and be released on their own reconnaissance is irresponsible and dangerous, and yet appears to be the current U.S. policy. Until we can come together and agree that the only way to address the national security, economic, crime, and humanitarian issues caused by illegal immigration is to effectively control our borders— there is no chance we can accurately and effectively protect ourselves from those who most assuredly will look at the border security failures as opportunities. De Tocqueville was right. History is a gallery of pictures in which there are few originals and many copies. Here, we need only look to recent history to know that what we have tried before to address an influx of illegal immigration and border security will work no better now than it did then. Whether we're talking asylum, whether we're talking about releasing those on their own reconnaissance while they await removal, deportation, or other INS or immigration proceedings, the things that we've done simply do not work. A real overhaul is needed if we are to successfully secure the nation, while continuing to offer the greatness that is America to those who wish legally to join our ranks. Next episode, I will discuss what is happening on America's campuses. From recent protests against Israel to the rise of demands that school officials not allow speakers with controversial or allegedly controversial viewpoints, to extreme policies of discrimination in the name of diversity, equity, and inclusion, our educational institutions no longer foster an exchange of ideas in an educational setting and instead seek to insulate students from reality and to cater to extreme minority positions in a way that deprives all students the learning opportunities that come from exposure to those of different backgrounds, beliefs, and lifestyles. In other words, in the name of diversity and inclusion, our campuses are fostering exactly the opposite, communities of intolerance, bigotry, and extremism. Until next time, stay free, be brave, search for truth, defend our Constitution, and God bless America. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can share the podcast with just one person, we can continue to further the entire purpose for it, which is to encourage real discourse in society about the state of our nation primarily and the world more generally. If you wish to help this podcast continue, you can contribute to support it by going to the podcast page on Spotify and clicking the Support This Podcast button. The Defending American Exceptionalism podcast is written and produced by Solus Veritas. Original music by Canticum Octar. Special thanks to Morales Susceptor. Copyright 2023.